0: Hey Sky community, welcome to another episode of Sky Women. I am really excited about today's episode, and I can't think of anybody better to interview than Camilla Smith on National Women Physicians Day. February 3rd marks the 199th birthday of Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell, the first woman to obtain a medical degree in the United States. And I am delighted today to share with you Dr. Camilla Smith, uh, the founder of the Dallas-based Charleston House, as we discuss our journey in medicine, vision for women's health care, empowering and mentoring women medicine, as well as work-life integration and the discomforts of pregnancy and how Sky can help you. But before we get started, I want to give a shout out to one of our lovely patients who left an awesome review. Haley wrote, Dr. Moyers and Lauren are amazing. I always feel so welcome and am able to ask questions about anything. It's incredible how great I feel after visits. I can't recommend Sky Women's Health enough. Thank you so much for your feedback, for your review, and for letting other women know how Sky women's health can help them. All right, on with the episode. Welcome to Sky Women Podcast. On this episode today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Camilla Smith, a board-certified OB-GYN, the founder of the Dallas-based Charleston House, mom of three, who's married to medicine, as her husband is also a physician, and she is the epitome of women supporting women. I met Dr. Smith at the beginning of 2020 and instantly felt bonded to her, and she has been an incredible mentor to me. She has a passion for policy as it relates to women's health and improving the female healthcare experience. Dr. Smith launched a membership model at Charleston House this month and is providing a more convenient and thoughtful experience for today's busy woman. Welcome Dr. Smith. Thank you. Wow. That is an introduction.
1: You, could you write that down for me? (laughs) And like that, you just have such a way with words, Carolyn. So thank you for um, laying it out so beautifully.
0: I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. All right. So tell me about your journey in medicine uh, to opening Charleston house, whatever you do. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, I think that
1: the journey into medicine sort of began at a young age as a desire to serve something beyond myself. And I would say that that's probably an innate, maybe subconscious trait that a lot of physicians have. I think we have that in common. Why else would one go through years and years of schooling and training? And I think for a lot of us, the prize is not to be the doctor, but to serve something outside of yourself. And so I feel like that's sort of always been a underlying theme. Um, I went to med school in San Antonio where I met my husband. And I think the important part of my story is a lot of trauma happened in my life when I was in med school. And I kept going and I and I just stayed on the same course. And again, I think it was just this. Pursuit, this tireless pursuit to serve something outside of myself, and and you don't know that. It's just I think that's what they call a calling. Um, my last year of med school, my husband and I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and this is really where I was first exposed to the idea that women could have multiple services under one roof. I um, served with a practice. I rotated with a practice out in Mount Pleasant. And they, um, they had a breast surgeon, they had a dermatologist, they had an acupuncturist that would come in and treat hyperemesis of pregnancy. And I remember thinking, okay, there's, there's two things here that I think are remarkable about this model. And I was a fourth year med student and we were thinking, number one, the patient, like if you find a breast mass on a patient and then you say, you know what, I'd like you to see, like you'd have a mammogram, I'd like you to have a diagnostic breast ultrasound and a diagnostic mammogram, I'm going to send this over to my, you know, one of my staff members who then turns and sends a referral to a breast center. And the amount of anxiety and fear that is allowed to just percolate in a woman while she's waiting to get entry into the healthcare system for something like this can be very daunting. And so I really... Um, thought that that was remarkable and a service that they were doing for women. And so they would bring breast surgeons in who could examine breasts and look at the mammograms and sort of talk women off the ledge. And so I thought that that was one of the most remarkable things that I'd seen. And then second, it was that these physicians, although their training was different and they were multi-specialty, they all understood the, um, the reason why we should work together as a team and create a Medical team around a a patient to support them. Um, And so I went on and came back to Dallas to do my residency at Baylor University Medical Center in downtown Dallas. And I've been there since 2003. In residency, I really think that I began to realize again that there was more to women's health than maybe just what I was learning. And there was a stirring, I would say. And I felt a little bit like a strange person because I just couldn't tell anybody because it was sort of like my secret, but I thought I need to be learning more about medicine and women's health. And so I stepped out and applied to internal medicine during my ob residency and I got accepted. And so here I am at Baylor with the program director at ob and the program director in internal medicine telling me I could do both. And I thought, well, there it is. This is exactly what I want. And, and then I got scared. I was so scared and residency is so hard and you're taking call every, we didn't have, we didn't have the work rules, the residency work rules back then, and we didn't have all the regulations. And so you were either pre-call on call or post-call every day of your life for four years. And so I thought, well, how could I pile something more on top of that? And then when I finished my residency, I'd already had my first child my last year residency. And so I was just. I just was done. And I think that is a teachable moment in itself for my, for me that I didn't keep going. And I may have, and it may have made it harder on myself in the long run and taken a longer road because I just thought this is too hard. No one's ever done it before. It must not be doable. Um, so I graduated, went to, um, went into a practice and then that practice sort of disintegrated with some of the male partners matriculating out. And then one of my partners and I founded, um, founded Magnolia OB Gen and was there for 13 years. But when I first got out of residency, this is crazy, I discovered that there was a Center for Excellence in Women's Health right in San Antonio. And I was like, what is this? And so these Center of Excellence for Women were popping up at these university academic-based teaching centers. And I thought, I missed my boat. Like I must've missed what I was meant to do. And I was just so discouraged by it. And again, I had a really small understanding of how we can sort of create what we want our careers to be. And I thought I've missed it. I missed my opportunity. I'll never, I'll never get to do it the way I want to do it. And I was really just um, still desiring to make comprehensive care for women, make a model that had that. And so I would say that medicine is a path that does not really allow self or personal development, especially back in the late nineties and the early two thousands, which is when I was doing my training and, and it's for good reason, right? Like we don't want to color outside the lines. you know, things need to be done in a very ritualistic manner. And so, you know, it, it wasn't really an idea for me. And there's these gynecology practices popping up all over the country now. And those didn't exist when I was going through residency. And it did they didn't exist when I started Charleston House. And so I think I was just really um, you know, something somebody told me once is when you are doing something different, people are going to tell you all the reasons it won't work. And that is because, not because they don't want you to succeed, it's because if you're doing something different than they are, then maybe one of us is doing it wrong. And I think that there's room enough for all of us to do it differently and to do it right. And so I think that's why it's so exciting. Like your practice model is very different. And we spend a lot of time talking about our, our mission um, and the heart behind what we're doing. And so, you know, I think that there's room for us to all be different and, and all be right. Um, and so you know, having that busy OBGEN practice at Baylor, um, was sort of the last stop, right? You go to college to get into med school, you get into med school to get a residency, and then you have your job. And it's like the bus just drops you off. And you're like, is I
0: what I worked for all these, <laughs>
1: like, days? this is well, it. And and all I've ever known is to work towards something. So, how do you enjoy it when you're when you're finally there? And, um, And I think that, and this might've been the first sign of maybe I have a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug. Um, And I just had this nagging feeling that I needed to be doing something more and needed to be doing it differently. And I, you know, built this very busy practice and felt really like I didn't belong in the very model I helped create. And I felt like my patients and my team were oftentimes not getting the best parts of me. And maybe they were getting just a very small fraction of me. And so I started to really spend some time talking to patients that I knew would be honest with me. And they were, I said, what's missing in your experience. And they said, you know, it's, we want more of you and we want a better model. And I think it's wise, always wise to listen to your patients. Um, And (laughs) so, you know, I, I didn't really have anybody telling me how it would work. And I didn't, I couldn't find where the specialties were split. And so I will tell you that if you aren't doing OB, then then you do feel like you have sort of separated the specialty um, in half. But I would say that there's so much more to women's health beyond the childbearing years. And I think, you know, we know that, um, that unfortunately maternal morbidity continues to rise and oftentimes death is a preventable cause and that prenatal care it's really questionable as to how it impacts morbidity mortality and if it really improves outcomes and i think preconceptional care these women these three to five years before they start having their forming their family is where you really get to spend time and you want them to access the system and you want to be able to intervene Um, and you can sort of start, you know, forecasting what their issues in pregnancy might be and optimize their health. Um, and so I will tell you that just being vulnerable, finding the courage to step out and break the mold and doing something different is probably one of the scariest things I've ever done. I mean, palpable fear, Carolyn, like palpable fear. You wake up at 4am with your heart pounding. Right. And and what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Okay, well, it fails a different job. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you hear so many people, like you and I, I know, have just embedded ourselves in this women's entrepreneurial world, and you hear so many people say, if it's not worth, if you're if you're really not taking a risk, then you're really not growing.
0: When I met you, Charleston House was up and running. I met you at the beginning of 2020. So. How old is Charles? When did you found Charleston?
1: Um,
0: so Charleston House was
1: founded in May of 2019. It's
0: um, new. What? Whenever I met you in 2020, it was new. Oh yeah, it was very new. And But you looked
1: like you had it all together. Yeah, it's all about how you look, isn't it? <laughs>
0: When you're waking up at 4.30 in the morning with heart palpitations. Um, but I think that the fear and the excitement coexist whenever you're doing mm-hmm. something that you're passionate about. Like you really believe in the mission of Charleston House and providing better health care for women.
1: Absolutely. And some of the things that words that sort of play over and over and just felt have fallen out of my mouth over the years are, you know, it was really born out of a, out of, it was born out of a desire to fill a large gap in healthcare for women. And, you know, we are a healthcare home. Um, then there's, it was not by chance that I put the, but that I used the word house in the name because it's what I could see. And then one of my good friends did the branding and the submarks for it. And you know, she just, she came up with this beautiful house in our tiny little home. And, and so, you know, can women need community? Women thrive on community. You and I have thrived because we know each other through community. And I don't think that healthcare should be any different for women. And so what we are doing is we are creating a community where women feel like they are not alone, um, that they are understanding how healthcare is evolving for them, what's there for their taking and how we can better support them in their journey as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, um, as a professional. Um, And so, you know, if you take good care of women, then women can go and take care of everybody else. And helping women manage their stress, um, you know, all those things are so important to their, to their journey. And so I feel like you know, mental health is a very big part of what we do. And you know this as an ob I mean, most of what we do is we coach women all day long in the exam room. We're, we're coaches, you know. We don't have the training to be a therapist, but we sure do a, a lot, lot of it, yes. therapy. A lot of therapy. Um, and so that helps you kind of distill down what a woman's really going through and why she's perceiving her pain the way she is or, you know. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, we are still evolving. We were a gynecology practice um, and became, you know, quickly began to realize that the model that I had left was quickly being recreated. And I was back to seeing 18 to 20 patients a day and six to seven minutes in the room. And then I began to see that women started to suffer again. They weren't getting the time that they needed. And so it's like, how do you create room in the model for women to get the time
0: that they need? I agree. Women want time with their providers and they want a place to be heard. They want to know that they're valued. They want to be seen. Mm
1: -hmm. And also I can't tell you. So we started, we launched our membership model literally like three weeks ago. So it's been, you know, (laughs) new year, new me looks real tired because it's been a lot of sleepless nights trying to create processes and operations and infrastructure to support a new model. Um, you know, concierge medicine is not something that's new, but it is very new to women's health. And how do we bring value to what these women are paying for? They're investing in this, they're investing in Charleston house and we have to invest in them and we want to make sure that we don't under deliver what they, um, have placed their hope and trust in. And so, um, but I do think Carolyn, that you will begin to see, this is just my own personal like, um, notion that I think you're gonna to start to see the specialty separate. I think we're going to have laborists, like what you're doing, you're at the hospital tonight, you know, we're going to, you're gonna to see laborists who are so committed. Okay, I think you're gonna see the specialty separate and that practices will largely focus on obstetrics so that the comprehensive women's healthcare, bone health, nutrition, mental health, cognitive function, cardiovascular health, sexual function, All those things can really get the time, those little forgotten areas. They should get the time that they really deserve. Right. And because women
0: aren't getting that from their OBGYNs and a busy OBGYN practice. No.
1: And it's not because your doctor doesn't care. If you're listening, it's not because you don't care.
0: Absolutely. It's like,
1: we care so much, but I remember like sweating because I'd have three women downstairs in labor. I'd be running an hour behind in my office because I had a noon C-section that just started late. And then I, you have one patient start opening up about how her relationship is with her spouse. And you're like, oh no, oh no, oh no, we, oh no. Because you, the system is not built for that. It does not give you time to actually dig deep with women and go through the struggles.
0: I think that that is the beautiful thing about designing your own practice because you mm-hmm. are setting it up to be successful so that you provide the quality care and the quality of life, mm-hmm. not only for you, but for your patients, right. If they want to have an appointment with you, they don't get that. If you're running off to deliver babies. Mm
1: -mm, mm -mm. And if you're distracted while you're in the room with them, even if you do have a pocket of time, you're just, I mean, I remember I was just always so distracted and, you know, I've been fortunate and it's been sort of like it just organically involved, evolved, but I've, you know, just started some consulting recently and have, had women across the U S reach out and it has been the coolest thing, helping these women achieve their dream practice, like watching providers find freedom and creating a model that is individualized just both to the provider and the patient, I'm like, okay, there's longevity in that equation, you know, absolutely creating a model where, and, and I think practitioners need to speak up on that and say, we have to create a model where we both thrive in it. The physician and the patient must thrive. And, um, and, and sometimes it's, it's very particular to what that looks like based on your market, um, who your consumer is. Um, you know your experience level. I mean, I could not have come out and done concierge medicine right out of residency. Right, I barely knew which instrument instrument to grab to do a procedure. You know, and and I and I didn't understand the breadth of women's health and what that involved um, when I was coming out of residency. But you know, I I think that these practices are growing across the U.S. and all that really tells us is that practitioners are awakening to the fact that women need more from their healthcare experience.
0: Absolutely. Well, you've already answered the question I was going to ask you about your vision for women's healthcare, but you just said it.
1: (laughs) I know. And it's going to, it's going to take like, you know, we've got a lot of years of thinking and, um, schools of thought that have to be broken. And so like for this to get into the residency program and curriculum and and let people understand that there's a track that really needs to occur. I don't know how much experience you have with family practice doctors and internal medicine doctors that focus on women's health, but those guys have figured out. Like they realized early on, okay, women are only getting a fraction of what they need and I need to be able to pick up the slack if they're not having babies and they can't, they don't want to go see their OB/GYN because their ob is busy, then I need to pick up the slack as their primary care doctor. And so um, I had a great conversation with one of my very favorite primary care doctors here in Dallas, Rachel Evans. And she's like, you know, I, she's like, I practice women's health. You guys should be practicing a little bit of primary care, you know, like managing the, the very straightforward stuff that you know, a rash, just easy stuff like strep throat, those kind of things. Right. And, you know, seeing how the specialties cross over, um, I think is going to be really interesting. And I think that there's some things on the horizon that are coming that will mimic very similar to what I saw in Charleston way back in, you know, 2002.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so tell everybody the history behind the name of Charleston House, real quick.
1: I mean, you kind of touched on it, but. Yes, I, you know, it's so funny. I wasn't originally going to name it that because I thought it was just like, everyone's going to be like big eye roll. Well, of course she named it that. So I did what we always do when the, like when things are easy and they're right in front of you, you think that that's probably not the right answer because it was so easy. And so I was like, I'm not naming it that. So I pushed that off for about six months and my friends that were doing my branding and my website and the beautiful design work that they did, They just said we had women's wellness house. I mean, we had some of the, the, I mean, we had some, I mean, I had some bad names. I was tossing around that were just like, what does that mean? Um, and so they finally just looked at me one day and said, I just think you need to name it Charleston house. And I was like, okay. And the reason I say that people would be like, well, duh, I roll was because, you know, my, my oldest daughter is named Charleston. Um, and that's, you know, it is, she is the vision. She's the future. She is the vision of, um, or the future of healthcare, I should say. And she is what I need to be fighting for and I need to be building. And everyone's like, well, you have two daughters. Why'd you name it after her? And I said, well, it's not just because of that. It's also because of Charleston was such a special place to me in my training. It's where I did really see my initial um, awakening to what women's healthcare could look like in a model that didn't exist. And it's also a place that we love to visit. My um, in-laws are there and it's just sort of always been a place where it just provides so much peace and comfort for us. Um, And so we lived there in 2002 and it's always sort of been a part of my heart and a place I want to get back to, um, you know, anytime I have a, a free moment to travel. So awesome. So it feels
0: like home to you and now you're bringing it home to other women. I
1: love it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, it is, it, it it evokes a comfort and charm and, um, and our practice sort of has that Southern feel. And so it does fit quite nicely to have the history behind it too, of why it's named, um, Charleston house. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's switch gears and talk about work-life integration or, Mm -hmm you know, that work-life balance that every woman is trying to juggle. How has that kind of evolved for you as you've added children to the mix? (laughs) And you, uh, you know, changed uh, from a busy OB-GYN practice Mm -hmm. now, your entrepreneurial GYN practice.
1: First thing I have to say, and it was really funny, is the initial response when people learned that I was going to um, open a gynecology practice. I got over and over, well, you won't have to work as much. You won't work as hard now that you're not delivering babies. And I laugh because, and you know this, anytime you own your own business, it never turns off. And so you're always working, but that's the joy, you know, in it. Um, but I will say if you, you have to be really honest with yourself. Having your own business is like having another child. And so you have to decide, are you ready for a fourth baby? Um, in my case, because I already had three. And and so, you know, that was a big step. Um, so I think number one, you know, how do you balance things like that? You have to be honest about, it's like having another child. Um, and you have to, you know, some people, maybe you and me, wink, wink, um, we will fill our days regardless of how much time we have. And balance means knowing when to cut it off I think and that may look different for you it may look look different for me I may need a little more space in the evenings before as I wind down I may need you know I like to come home and not do any work and turn it all off and just be with my children till their head hits the pillow and then I go crank it back up for a couple hours so you know I think the balance lies in knowing that you can make yourself busier no matter what you're doing um, it doesn't matter what you're creating. It's, you can make yourself as busy or as um, flexible as you want. And so if you have a personality type that's just going to continue to overload your plate, um, then you'll find yourself falling into those same patterns and behaviors um, that frustrated you
0: to begin with, you know, like old habits die hard. So even as you have designed this new practice, you've shifted gears because you realize that maybe you hadn't set the boundaries mm-hmm. to meet the goals that you wanted, right? Correct. We have Correct. to set those boundaries so that we can meet our goals and have the lifestyle and take care of all of the people, the patients, the kids, the husband. All of it. Self. Correct.
1: Correct. Well, and you know, but I will say you like, stepping out and doing something new and facing fears and having the courage to break the mold is one of the best lessons that you can teach your children mm-hmm. so they've watched me take a huge risk step out of a family i mean i just had this conversation with my son who's applying to a, a different school right now and trying to decide if he's going to leave the school he's in and start high school somewhere else and You know, I mean, he's like, mom, you did it. I I was like, I, you know, that old practice was my family. I went there every day for 13 years and spent more time with those people than I did with my own family. And so leaving comfort, I think is, and believing in yourself and taking a chance on yourself because you want to do more for others um, is a valuable example to set for your children. Um, and when you do that, you know, that sort of created balance in itself. My kids were like, wow, mom's doing this. And they, they felt, they feel like Charleston house is sort of theirs as well. I mean, they were, they've put so much time and energy into that place as much as I have. And they're there on the weekends. And when we were setting things up and anytime there's a new, back when we were having events pre COVID, we were doing a lot of lunch and learns and weekend events. And my kids were always up there helping. And so um, I also think you can show your children the importance of returning the favor to your community by what you do in your work. And anything that you do, you can you can donate some of that to your community. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's balance or if it's just um, trying to keep it all the balls in the air at one time. I don't know really what it is. But I do think when you are living out your calling and your passion, it, it's really hard to be convinced to do something different just for the sake of balance. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes. I think it's more an integration, right? Because it's not always going to be 50, 50, right? Sometimes the practice Mm -hmm. is going to take priority. Sometimes the kids are going to take priority. All right. So I want to talk about um, empowering and mentoring women in medicine. I feel like that you did this so seamlessly when I walked in your office, we, clicked rather quickly. You laid out, you listened to my passion. You laid out several different options for me and you let it marinate and you would come back and check in with me. I mean, you just um, so naturally became my mentor without me even asking you to be my mentor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, is that something that, that you experienced, like did you have a mentor or leadership, or is that something that you wished that you had? And and going to um Brave Enough, like C- conference for women in medicine, mm. did that kind of ignite that in you? Um, you know, when I went to Brave Enough,
1: I had already started Charleston House. So Brave Enough was like a year too late for me. <laughs> I needed Brave Enough back in 18 when I was sitting in the corner, sucking my thumb, trying to figure out how I was going to do this. And what is I going to have the courage to do something different? Right. And I do, I do laugh because I went to Brave Enough um, in 2020. And I mean, sorry, 2019, and really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it way more than the people that were having to do all the soul searching. Cause I was looking over the sea of women who were just um, struggling knowing that they needed to make a change and looking for the confidence and faith to do it. And so I love what Sasha has done with that program. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a speaker there my year. Her name is Laurie Bateke. And she gave a talk on EI, emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And she, right after, I don't not want to go up and try to get speakers and ask all my questions afterwards. And I sit at the back of the room And then I slip out, you know, when they're done. Um, And I go and sort of just process it within myself. And so I marched right up to her. I was like, where where is this coming from? And just, and had five minutes with her. And I said, Hey, you know that your presentation really struck me. And I feel like there's a lot going on in my program back in Dallas that could benefit from this. And I haven't been exposed to the teachings of emotional intelligence. And she's like, Hey, give me your email address. I'll email you the white paper on emotional intelligence by coleman and i was like oh great okay and true to her word she sure did she emailed it right over i thought this woman is so busy she's touching so many lives this weekend she's everywhere and yet she has time to remember me and so she reached out a couple months later and was like hey i don't know if you'd be interested in this but i remember when we spoke very briefly that you are passionate about really changing women's health and wanting to do some things of policy. And, and so she, long story short, she runs a fellowship out of Creighton University Executive Healthcare Leadership Fellowship. And I just remember how in a very short interaction and meeting how, in, how she invested in me so quickly and how it truly altered the course of my career. And she was able to empower me to build something that would serve women just by investing in me And so I think it's just like a no brainer. I'm like, she just did that for me. And I know what it feels like for somebody to invest in you. And, um, and I think she expected me to pay it forward, you know, and all the things that she's taught me, she's still my business coach. I completed the fellowship and, um, I stay in close contact with her and she's kind of my, what I call her, the board of of my governors. And she sort of reins me in when I need it. And, pushes me when I need it and does all the things. And so, you know, you gotta, you gotta find that person. So she just so freely gave that. I, it was, it's a no brainer. So when somebody like you shows up, I mean, think about what you're doing for these women. I mean, women have always said, Oh, you know, discomfort's a pregnancy. It's just normal. It's just a normal part of a pregnancy, right? Well, is it normal or is it common? And is your body telling you something?
0: I believe so. And so going (laughs) like my roots of, you know, osteopathic principles and it's like, okay, we can help you realign and feel better. And, you know, this past week I had somebody leave the office pain free after one visit. And I was like, okay, just fair warning. That is not typical. (laughs)
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. these are not typical results. You may be
0: sore <clears throat> tomorrow. You may feel pain again tomorrow, but you have to trust the process because you've been in pain for four months and we are not mm-hmm. going to alleviate it with one adjustment. We have to break those patterns of stress and get you realigned. So, but that was such an empowering feeling when I went,
1: mm-hmm. okay,
0: like more women need this. We have to get the message out. Well, and I know when I had my second
1: pregnancy, I was, my body was a wreck. And when I delivered her, I started having all of these crazy symptoms, um, some neurological things. And I found myself with a fancy workup and not one, and I couldn't figure out why my body was shutting down. And I went through a long course of physical therapy, seeing a neurosurgeon, an orthopedic surgeon, and really stayed the course and believed in conservative medicine and alignment. And um, myofascial work. And, and I was trying to convince my husband to have a third baby. And he was like, there's no way we can go through that again. You you're, you're in so much pain. And so I was like, well, hold on. So I worked with my physical therapist who is, she's a ninja. And she, um, she basically had me, so she said, oh, you'll do fine in pregnancy. You'll be pain-free in your third one. And so I remember going home and him saying, telling him, well, she said, I'd be pain-free. And he was like, oh, I don't know if I believe that. And I was, you know, I was, I was, I was very consistent in my adjustments during, we have this wonderful group. They were the only ones really at the time, Cafe of Life, and they were just the, the place to be if you were pregnant and you needed it being adjusted and you need an adjustment. And I was there once a week, sometimes twice a week. Um, and it was wonderful. Um, and it did, I had my third baby and I was completely without pain.
0: That's amazing. Like, yeah.
1: Not during labor. Let me be quick. Right, right. <laughs> not right. during labor. But we're not talking I about swear- natural
0: birth or anything yeah, here.
1: No, we're not talking about anything crazy. For all you natural, brave women out there that are listening, that is not my jam. Um, but I really was encouraged by the fact that, you know, and I don't think practitioners know what to do when our patients hurt, right? We want to, we want to cure people and you can't pain is so multifactorial. And so it's like, all right, well to have it, to have services, um, complimentary services, like what you're doing for women is super awesome. Um, I would love to get you over to Charleston house. We've talked about it before and let you work on women over there. I think that would be just a, um, a brilliant, um, addition and, but just to, you know, bring back around to what you do, I think that, um, working the body and increasing blood flow and manipulation and all those things is so important because a woman's body goes through so many changes so quickly from an alignment standpoint. Oh, yeah. It's like a car wreck every two weeks, you know, and everything's just been jolted and moved over. And so, um... So I do know that I'm sure the women of Fort Worth are just thrilled to have you and are already seeing the results. Um, so,
0: Yes, it has been a fun journey and I'm so happy to you know have you to call on whenever I have an entrepreneurial <laughs> panic.
1: <laughs> I think I've had a few with you too. I think I've you flipped the script on you and been like, no, no, no. I need you to encourage me today because I am running low on um, entrepreneurial fumes. My positivity has been drained. Um, yes. So,
0: well, thank you so much. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got kiddos and family home now. Um, thank you so much for joining us on sky women. All right. Sky community episode 11 is in the book women supporting women. Isn't Dr. Smith the best? I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you find something you identify with, whether you're a physician, entrepreneur, a busy woman, and mom looking for work-life integration, wanting to step outside the box and living out your passion, or having pain in pregnancy and postpartum or seeking that concierge gynecology care, we are here for you. In the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you want to find Dr. Smith at Charleston House, you can find her on Instagram and on her website. And if you're looking for help with pain in pregnancy and postpartum, you can find me at Sky Women's Health. Our links are in the show notes. I would so appreciate it if you would subscribe rate, and review the podcast so that others can find us. Until next week, be well.